Thank you for listening to the Giving Light Podcast. We are a family church and world outreach center. Our heart is to empower you to walk in true freedom and equip you to impact your world. Please visit our website at givinglight.org to learn more about us and our many resources, including original music by Brave Music, e-courses for leaders, tools for raising powerful kids, and more. If you would like to support Giving Light financially, visit our Give Online page to choose the best giving method for you. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy this message. Thank you, guys. It is so, so good to be here. I, um, I think it's been a year. I can't, it's been a, that's, I think this is the longest time I've been away. But it's so good to be here. It's so good to see you. Thank you guys for inviting us, inviting me. Um, really special thanks and love to uh, Apostle Steve and Melody. Um, and thank you all for coming. I, I feel like the Lord, the assignment I have today is to release revelation on a journey. It's a personal journey that the Lord has taken me on um, the past almost a year. And uh, a lot of it has matured through all of COVID. So how are you guys doing with COVID? Yeah, what COVID? There we go. What in that? There we go. So, um, yeah, as the Lord was shaking the heavens and the earth, um, you know, there's some shaking going on in me, um, and the Lord wanted to bring forth some revelation. So I want to release this to you. Um, Yeah, I want to release this to you so we can be set free. Great set of songs. Holy Spirit really set us up well, right? Where's Pastor Joel? Man, bless the word, Pastor Joel. Can we give them a hand? Bless the Pastor Joel and the worship team. Wow, what an awesome (laughs) taking us into the throne room of heaven and welcoming Holy Spirit here. Amen? So beautiful. So beautiful. So um, I want to start with just a couple of references. So there are a couple of books that uh, the Lord had uh, brought to my heart here. um, That None Should Perish by Dr. Ed Silvoso. Um, uh, profound book, a uh, lot. That's where I, I got the basics on what a stronghold is. And the next book was You're My Bambino, written by Pastor Rob Gross. What a phenomenal exposure of the enemy of the orphan mindset and the orphan spirit. Um, and then there's a teaching by Chris Valentin that I, I'm going to uh, reference as well. Um, I also want to say thank you to Pastor Katie. She left. Okay. Um, she, I'm going to actually, it's a, isn't it amazing how Holy Spirit works? I'm, I feel led to bring a, a, a revelation that really builds on what Katie preached on last week, right? Fear is a liar. So this is revelation of a stronghold. So we're going to talk about strongholds. Okay. Jesus said he commissioned all of us to go into, right, all the world and make disciples of all the nations. So this is our commission. To make disciples of nations, we have to make disciples of our cities. To make disciples of our cities, we have to make disciples of our government, our schools, and our businesses, because that's what comprises the city. Amen? But in order to make disciples of them, we've got to make disciples of our families 
And we've got to make a real authentic disciple of ourselves. So um, I don't know how much of my testimony that you know, but I, I've been walking with the Lord since about 1987 when I gave my life to the Lord at a DeGarmo and Key concert. <clears throat> yeah, 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 yeah. God bless them. Um, <clears throat> but here we are, right, some 20-plus years later, and the Lord is revealing a stronghold. So let's get on with the business of dealing with the stronghold. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for your truth. And Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence. Jesus, we gather in your name. And you said that when we gather in your name, you will be here. So we welcome you here. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. I bind up all unclean spirits, and I command you to leave this place now in the name of Jesus. Get out. You are not wanted here. And Holy Spirit, come and fill this place and fill us. Lord, we ask for discernment, and we ask for revelation to flow, to flow. Thank you, Lord, for creating such a safe place in this body, in this house, and a safe place right now. In Jesus' name, oh, yeah, let's get on with this. Okay, so the enemy's got three categories of sin, uh, three categories of weapons, right? One is sin, temptations, um, right? We are, uh, yeah, he's trying to get us to cross the line, right? The second one, so sin is an active weapon. The the next one is a little bit... uh, a little bit less direct. So sin is, you know, go ahead and steal that thing. Accusation is, ah, you've done something wrong, right? Accusation is a lot of what Katie talked about last week. It's the whispering, lying voice of the enemy to convince us that we're not worthy. Thank God we just sang about how worthy Jesus is, amen? But here is the most stealthy, sinister weapon in the devil's arsenal, and that is strongholds. Now, strongholds are different than active sin. You know, strongholds are, are even more subtle than accusations or, or suggestions, right? Like Katie was talking about last week about the suggestions of fear, getting us minds to think about things that won't even happen, but to think of them and be afraid of them. Strongholds are very different. They are stealth, like a landmine, like an IED. That the enemy does a lot of preparatory work over years to lay all this groundwork to sit there with his thumb on the detonator button to find the most opportune time to go click, to trigger what he has laid down as groundwork to trigger something to get us to respond in a way that takes us strategically off course. That makes sense with me? Okay. I'm going to use this baseball, show some videos here, short videos, um, to illustrate the point 
I'm not saying anything about the people involved. I'm just saying it's symbolic of what a stronghold or how a stronghold might work. So please don't judge the guys that being involved in this. But it's a wonderful illustration of, of how a stronghold actually works. So here's video number one. Uh, let me set this up. So um, this is the 1986 World Series. It's the Boston Red Sox against the New York Mets. And how many of you guys remember the Boston Red Sox curse, right? They went 60 plus, this is, they've gone 60 plus years without a championship, without a pennant, and right, the, the, the city is just hungry for it. What we're going to see here is an interview that, um, between, with the first baseman, and he's going to reveal something um, that's going to be prophetic in a negative way. Did you catch that? Did you hear the enemy's groundwork that he laid? Right? You ready? So now, fast forward. This, I'm going to show a highlight from that World Series that he's talking about right there is... Um, this is the game six. It's the bottom of the 10th, and the game is tied. The Red Sox are up three games to two. Uh, yeah, three games to two in this game six. The Red Sox are up. So if the Red Sox win this game, they win it, right? So this is how stronghold works. Uh, can we advance here? Yeah. And then, here we go. Okay, so here's my point. A stronghold is a dormant weapon, right? Um, the enemy sits there with his thumb on the detonator because he knows he's already laid all this groundwork and he's just waiting for our strategic moment. The thing that's so sinister about a stronghold is it's stealth. I've gone 59 years of living life and realizing this stronghold was in me. Um, This, is the, this was the championship game. When we hit our championship moment, when it's time for us to step up to the plate and make a critical decision, we need to make sure we, we don't have a stronghold because the enemy will just sit there and wait and then go click. So here is the other way of the way... This is how God wants his ecclesia to be. Ecclesia, so when um, Jesus said to Peter, um, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven, and on this rock of revelation, I will build my church. Well, the Greek word that Jesus used was ecclesia, right? 
And notice that Jesus did not say, on this rock, I will build my synagogue, which was the church of the day. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm not going to build using this paradigm that you're familiar with right now. I'm going to use a different paradigm. I'm going to specifically use the word Greek word ekklesia. The Greek word ekklesia means a legislative assembly to govern the affairs of the city. We've been called to be the head and not the tail. So how about it? When the, we're supposed to be the ecclesia, we're supposed to be the head of the government schools and businesses. Right? But we've withdrawn. This next video is illustrative of what God expects of us, his ecclesia. This is the 1988 World Series, and I'm going to continue on this baseball paradigm. <laughs> Um, and it's the Oakland A's versus the Los Angeles Dodgers. So I don't know if you guys, anybody a baseball fan? So, um, so this is when uh, the Oakland A's are heavy favorites to win this, this series. The Oakland A's swept in four games their opponent getting into this World Series. The Los Angeles Dodgers barely made it. They needed all seven games. They sent Earl Hershiser in three Three rotations. He couldn't, they used him so much that he couldn't start this game. So here we are. It's game one, momentum-setting game. Oakland A's heavily favored. The Oakland A's lineup looks like a football roster. They have Jose Canseco and Mark McGuire, 200-pound guys, right? They were intimidating, right? And they won easily, heavily favored. Here we are. It's the bottom of the ninth. Two outs. The Dodgers are down by one run, right? The Dodgers are about to lose this game. Their best hitter, their MVP, National League MVP, is injured in both legs. He's got a left hamstring pull, and he's got a bruised right knee. He's not, he didn't even sit in the dugout most of the game, but at the last out, the last batter, he asks the coach to send him in. So, God is calling us, his ecclesia, to step up to the plate in our championship moment. Hey, come on. How many people know the world needs America, and America needs the ecclesia? This is our championship time, our championship moment. God wants us to step up and take advantage and not take away that clicker from the enemy's hand. He wants us to be in position and in place. And get this. So Paul, here's why I picked this one, because you know what? You might feel like 
you're not qualified, you might feel like you don't belong in this moment, right? But look, that batter, that pinch hitter was injured in both legs, could barely walk to the plate. But all he needed to do was swing a bat and make connection. And you see, actually, his hand actually came up with a one-handed swing. And God just carried that ball all the way out. Let we do our part. God will do his part. Paul says, five times I received 39 lashes. Three times I experienced beaten with rods, stoned, shipwrecked, survived deadly peril. I went through storms, spies posing as believers. I went through many sleepless nights, deprived of food and water, lacking proper clothing. Come on. It's not our conditions. It's not our circumstances. It's not what we think. It's not how bad we've been through. It's about who God has called us to be and to be positioned for our appointed time for such as this. How much is the ecclesia like that Dodgers pinch hitter? God is calling his ecclesia to disciple our nation. But the Lord said to me, I, I watched a movie. So I'm of Japanese ancestry. Last Christmas, there was a movie that was released called Midway. I don't know if anybody saw that movie, but it's a movie about World War II, the specific battle with the Americans and the Japanese battling over um, the Pacific and the Battle of Midway, strategic place, et cetera. It was a very strategic moment. But in order to tell the whole story, they had to set it up. So they had a reenactment of Pearl Harbor. And um, I came out of that movie, and here was part of the early warning system that something wasn't right. I came out of that movie with an anger that startled me. I was so angry at the men who made the decision to invade Pearl Harbor, the Japanese imperial leadership on the other side of the planet that changed the trajectory of my family's lives. And I came out of there angry. I knew something was wrong. I'll get into it in a minute. Um, you know, my prayer is that my story will release revelation to you. Your story of how you may have gotten to this similar place may be different. The pathway might be different, but the revelation is the same. Whether you can relate to this directly or indirectly, I believe God wants to expose the enemy and bring him into the light, right? Because come on, we just sang it. There is power in the name of Jesus, to break every chain. My first question to the Lord was, orphan? Really, God? Me? An orphan? My parents have been involved in our lives our whole life. So how could I be an orphan? Isn't an orphan a person without parents? So my parents were there the whole time. My, my father just passed away in June, um, gave his life to the Lord in the last week of his life, praise God. <clears throat> um, my, uh, 
My story, though, is rooted generationally. And the Lord started with your orphan battle began generationally. And it began here, December 7th, 1941, when the Japanese surprise attacked us at Pearl Harbor. And the reaction of the culture was one of tremendous fear and anger. Oh, sorry. I got to stay between the lines. Um, and it, it led to the government ordering American citizens of Japanese ancestry, a certain racial background, to be singled out, removed from their homes, moved in large groups with a prevailing sentiment because of um, ethnic ancestry. To live in barracks like this, build these structures had no walls. Four families lived in there. Can you imagine spending years living in a structure with nothing separating? There's no walls, no bedrooms or you got to, right, all your living quarters are all together, merged together. To live behind barbed wire and guard towers for the duration of the war. So, rejected by the nation of their citizenry, abandoned by the nation of their ancestry, the Japanese-American people became an orphaned people. So this orphan spirit for me got a root generationally. So the Lord confronted me on this and I went through, I wrote out this long prayer of forgiveness, forgiving the Japanese imperial leadership for the decisions they made that caused my parents and grandparents and great-grandparents to be interned in these camps to choose to forgive the federal government for the decisions they made. And actually, the federal government went on to, um, you know, 30 years later, finally retract uh, the executive order that ordered them. It was still active until the 1970s, finally retracted it, and then issued an apology, a national apology, which went a long way to heal. However... It did nothing to deal with the stronghold that had already been laid. And so the enemy was sitting now over a whole population of people with his thumb on the detonator, waiting for the strategic time. So how many know the iniquity of the sons, or yeah, the iniquity of the fathers visits the sons to the third and fourth generation, right? But the good news is, he was bruised for our iniquities, right? <clears throat> and he became iniquity. The Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all, that we're, we can break the chain of generational flow down. Hallelujah. However, before that revelation was released, here was what was stolen. One of the things that was stolen. 
relational intimacy. So your path to this may not be the same, but you may experience similar symptoms. If the enemy can't make us real orphans, then he will try to make us spiritual orphans, to make us feel alone, even though we're amongst people, lacking relational intimacy. Relational intimacy is an environment where we are protected and safe to be vulnerable with others. Here's how we know we're in a place of relational intimacy. When we can share our intellectual ideas. Why? Because when we put forward an idea, there's a little bit of us that's being exposed when we offer up that idea. Same thing with our feelings. These are our feelings, but when we express them, if we feel safe, we can express that without any kind of worry or fear that we're going to get chastised for our feelings, right? And the last one is spiritual intimacy, and that's when we can feel safe enough to share our prayer requests. Hey, God, I'm struggling with this. And God said, I'm the father to the fatherless, right? I'll put the orphan into a family to connect with you that you will not be alone. The objective of the orphan is to get to a desired mindset, not necessarily um, a physical orphan, though I might have been a, a biological orphan or actual orphan. But how many of you had parents that were home but not present, right? How many uh, of us uh, outgrew our parents spiritually such that our parents could no longer be the spiritual leader in our lives. That separation brings a a lack of intimacy. Our Heavenly Father designed us to nurture inside relational intimacy, to be the safest place to process ideas, feelings, prayers, identity, and destiny. So... Last week, Pastor Katie said, is love leading me? Is power leading me or is something else? Timidity is lacking in self-assurance, courage, or bravery. We won't believe God is the biggest one in the room. So maybe my situation is unique. But this comes from the book, You're My Bambino. And these are six symptoms. Let's see if you can relate to any of them. I can relate to all six of them. But here's the first one, the Lone Ranger. So I functioned alone because trust was violated or not established early in life. Judges 18.28 says, There was no one to rescue them because they had no relationship with anyone else. The next one is the mouse on the wheel or the workaholic, right? That was definitely me as well. And that's a person who... Um, I believe that I'm, I'm lo- I will be loved when I do well and live up to the expectations of others. You know, hey, I worked in a job, and I had a boss, and I had to live up to the expe- expectation of my boss. But there's a difference between doing out of responsibility versus doing out of fear. Romans 3.27 says, do our works bring God's acceptance Right? Not at all. Next is the fault finder. <laughs> this was me as well. <laughs> this is the one that sees God as critical, that um, critical of self, critical of others. 
I see the faults in others before I see the gifts in others. Um, I get jealous when somebody else starts to move ahead of me, right? I get comparative, right? I don't know if you guys, anybody else can relate, but that was me as well. Number four is the doormat. And this is when we allow others to take advantage of us because um, of violations from authority figures earlier in life. I would sit in the back of the room. I surrendered my boldness. Next is the emotional vault. This one is when, if, if, um, you know, if I have a father that was passive and a mother that was controlling, I may find it difficult to express my feelings. I went into counseling in the early 90s, and the counselor, one of his first questions he asked me was, Kevin, what are you feeling? It took me literally two weeks to answer that question. I was so out of touch with my feelings, I had no vocabulary to describe my feelings, let alone any kind of radar to identify my feelings. It was really difficult. And the last one is the oblivious one. I'm out of touch with self, family, and others. I get consumed with my own life and lose touch with my surroundings. You don't have to raise your hand, but just inside your heart, can you relate to any of these? Is any of this ringing a bell? Because this, I can relate to all six. And here's the key. Total victory requires complete exposure of the enemy. If we're going to have a complete and total victory, then we have to have the enemy completely exposed. We have to know everything he laid so we can completely pull out his entire infrastructure of foundational things that he laid. That make sense? And this was really the hardest part for me. The first one is criticalness. I was six years old. I, it's, it's, I'm 59. I still remember this. I have this memory. It's vivid, vivid in my, in my memory. I was in first grade, six years old, sitting in class. Teacher hands out the assignment, and I, I take my pencil, and I color around the outline of the pig. And I did such a great job. I was so proud of it. I just was so excited. I wanted to hurry up and go run and tell the teacher, look what I did, look what I did. And her response was, but you colored the wrong animal. Disappointment set in. A fear of making mistake, making mistakes set in. Because I was corrected before I was praised and recognized. So that what that does, criticalness, the lie, right? I'm going to reveal these six lies. The lie that I believed was that growth only, only comes by correcting my mistakes. Therefore, I developed a hypersensitivity to my mistakes and those around me. So not only was I hypercritical of myself, I became hypercritical of those around me. And here's the concept, right? Is This is like a mini cancel culture. Right? When I become critical of others, what do I do? What am I doing? I'm blowing out the candles of those around me. Because right? why? 
because I feel bad about myself. So if I lower the quality of my surroundings, I will create the illusion that I am better. So this was the first lie and the first mindset the enemy laid, and it was established when I was single digits of age. The next is condemnation. Condemnation is the accusing voice of the enemy that's constantly whispering to us, you're just no good. You're not worthy. Versus the conviction of God that draws us into uh, repentance, right? Inviting voice of the Lord. Without discerning the difference between mistake and sin, I, six-year-old me, errantly concluded that all mistakes need to be punished. Right? So when I get corrected, even at home, you know, my, my aunts and uncles, all my authority figures, right, they, they managed me by correcting my mistakes. Oh, no, that's not how you do it. That's not how you do it. Right? And when that, what happens is that mentality is they're constantly correcting me, and every correction, instead of received as instruction, felt like punishment. So what happens is then, then I start to learn how to self-punish. So when I make a mistake I, and my parents aren't around, I started to develop this habit of, oh, come on, Kevin, you can do this. You know better than this. I'm reprimanding myself. I'm punishing myself. This is how this got took root. This, the self uh, yeah, progressed into tantrums, which pro- progressed into destructive rages. And this is where the fear of failure took root, right? Lord, I choose to forgive myself for being so critical, for being self-condemning. I receive your forgiveness, and I choose to release it to others. Okay. If I make a mistake and I'm punished, the ultimate punishment is what? Being cast out, right? So now I don't belong. Uh, You're just not good enough to even be here, right? Rejection is the withholding of love. Rejection is the withholding of acceptance. We don't accept you because you're just not the same as us. You don't fit. In Luke 10, Jesus said, the one who rejects you rejects me. So therefore, we need not worry about other people's opinions of us, but to respond in the opposite spirit. When we're rejected, God's calling us to respond in love, right? So therefore, we're not to worry about people's opinions of us. But I was so hypersensitive to what other people thought of me, right? How many of us get addicted to Facebook likes, right? Uh, here was another key symptom that I struggled with rejection. If I, my wife and I would get into a, a, a disagreement and I get to the place of, fine, fine, whatever, I'm done, right? What is that? It's rejection, right? If I can't get my way, then I'll reject you before you reject me. So that was number, that was number three. Next one is shame. Guilt is the feeling when I've done something wrong, but shame is the belief that I am something wrong. Shame was one of the wettest blankets that extinguished my fire. 
In the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve both ate of the fruit, what did they do? First thing they did, made fig leaves, right? They'd, they were motivated to duck and cover. There's something wrong with me, so I can't be visible, so I'll stay behind the scenes. And this is where the fear of my weaknesses being exposed came in. Because if my weaknesses are visible, uh-oh, then that just reinforced that I am something wrong. There's a subtle vulnerability to the shame mindset, right? I'm hypersensitive to um, my weaknesses being exposed, but I'm also hypersensitive to the exact opposite, right? If the enemy, enemy's, we are on the road of God, the enemy tries to, if he can't get us off the pathway to the left, he'll get us the pathway to the right. So if he can't get us off by exposing our weaknesses, then he'll get us off by praising us. Right? What happens? I'm supposed to move on, but I get showered with accolades and praise. Oh, I'm loving it here, but it's time to move on. Right? So that's a subtle weapon of vulnerability. Okay, next. And this one is the one this enemy, I hate. <laughs> I hate them all, but this one I, has an extra special place of hateness in my heart. Invalidation. If I am something wrong, then I'm not capable or qualified for anything of significance. I self-disqualify. Before the opportunity even gets offered, I've already made up my mind, you know what? That's over my head. I don't want to embarrass myself. Building upon the motivation of shame to duck and cover birthed the pattern of shying away from significant opportunities, right? The, the injured pinch hitter in the Dodgers game, right? I wouldn't have even volunteered. I would have just sat in the tub and kept my knees iced, right? Because, no, I, I don't belong. I'm not qualified. I'll self-invalidate. I would invalidate my candidacy for leadership assignments by disqualifying, my, disqualifying myself concluding I'm just not worthy. I missed out on opportunities to lead, be the leader in some of my kids' activities because I felt like I, I, I don't know anything about that. In meetings, I would sense God saying something to me, but I would disqualify myself from contributing it to the group because I felt like I'm not good enough. So others missed out on hearing God's revelation. But Peter was a fisherman with no seminary training, but yet he preached a sermon that birthed a megachurch in a day. Gideon was hiding in a cellar. Sarah was barren. Joseph was a slave and prisoner. Ruth was a widow. Rahab was a prostitute. There is no past that invalidates your future. God releases destiny, destiny no matter where we are or what we're doing. But here was the culminating lie, and that was the orphan. And the orphan is, I'm all alone, so I'm on my own. If it's going to get done, then I have to do it. This is a mindset that actually pushes people away from me. I can't join a team because I can't control it all. I need to be in control. Fear. Right? Fear is the emotion of being out of control. So what's the natural response? The fleshly response is to try to get gain control. Convinces me to withhold a piece of myself for, 
from being completely filled with the Holy Spirit. Ha, huh. we just said, I want more of you, God. We just said, I want more of you, God, right? This orphan spirit is the one that withholds a little, except here. Come and fill me, except here. Because I can't risk that one going away because then I'll be totally out of control. If we were meant for intimacy, which we are, then I need to share what I'm led by the Lord to share and not by what advances me or how it might affect others. It's my responsibility to share it. It's God's responsibility to work on the people who receive it. Okay. Now, that's specifics about the orphan stronghold. Let's talk about strongholds in general. I just want to go through a couple of of key things here. Number one, strongholds are in the mind. Why? Because 2 Corinthians 10 says, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. For the casting down of arguments, pulling down every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought, thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So here we go. Right? Arguments, knowledge, thoughts, they're all in the mind. So number one, strongholds are in the mind. We're dealing with thoughts that become belief systems or mindsets, lies believed cause spiritual instability because our minds are double-minded. Ephesians 4.23 says that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that's in the context of laying aside the old self. So let's define it, right? And Silvosa defines it as a spiritual stronghold is a mindset impregnated with hopelessness that causes us to accept as unchangeable situations that we know are contrary to the will of God. So let's expose the mindset behind the orphan stronghold. So how many of you ever uh, were active in, in sports or music? Sports or music, right? So you all know that practice makes perfect, right? Why? Because you're, we're establishing neural pathways in our brain. Right? And the more repetition of that same action, the stronger that neural connection and that neural pathway gets so that it's easier the next time I do it. Right? So here's what the string of lies that I believed does right, in our brain. I start off with all mistakes are wrong. That's a lie. It's a lie because actually mistakes aren't wrong. Mistakes are just mistakes. Anyway, we'll go into this in a minute. Next is, well, if you committed a mistake, then you must be punished is the next lie, right? So now there's this condemnation coming in. You are rejected. We don't want you here. You are a mistake, right? So here's this pathway that's trying to get established in my brain, and the number of times that that gets reinforced, eventually this neural pathway becomes a neural highway. And the neural highway then becomes, so you don't belong here, that's rejection. You are something wrong, that's shame. And then you don't have what it takes. That's invalidation. Oh, man, I hate that one. Such a liar. Such a liar. 
because it's not about our qualifications, right? The world wants us to pressure and believe that, but it's not about our qualifications. And finally, the ultimate lie of the orphan spirit is no one wants me. No one wants me, right? Which is the ultimate and opposite of God's love. But this highway in and of itself is not the stronghold. Oh, and by the way, so it became a highway so that what started every time a mistake came, it would automatically progress all the way through all that progression of lies and just go zoop straight to no one wants you. Mistake, oh, no one wants you. Didn't have to go through all the stops, right? This was the express train blowing through my mind, not the local stopping at each stop. This was blowing straight through. Number two, strongholds are often comprised of good thoughts versus God thoughts. Here we go, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Here's a good thought. Wow, that tree looks nice. Looks like good for food, like the others. That delightful to the eyes. That this tree looks desirable. Good thoughts. Right, what is it? Abraham, Abram and Sarai. Right? They had a good thought to conceive the plan to birth Ishmael. It's a good thought. Hey, God obviously needs some help here. Right? And we want to make sure that the covenant is still kept alive, so let's take some action. Right? It's been a, been a bunch of years. Peter came up with a good thought. The Lord says, the Son of Man is going to get crucified and sentenced to death in a really nasty way. Peter pulls him aside and says, no way, Lord. I'll, I'm big, strong fisherman Peter. I will not let this happen to you. Good thought. Right? That good thought brought on the harshest rebuke Jesus ever leveled in all of the Gospels. Get behind me, Satan. Good thoughts. Here's the danger of good thoughts. When we have an evil thought, go steal that candy bar. That's easy to discern as evil. But here's why strongholds are so sinister. Because a good thought it ain't so easy to discern that it's evil. So, on top of these lies of my neural pathway laid these good thoughts. So, hey, if all mistakes are wrong, then I can't make any mistakes. Any mistakes, right? perfectionist mentality. Can you see it? Can you feel it already brewing, growing? The next thing is, set of condemnation. Hey, you know what? There's no punishment for success, so I'll just make sure everything I do is successful. Well, again, that's not so bad in and of itself. It's kind of a good thought, unless the motivation behind it is the fear of failure. Right? Sinister. Come on. Let's expose this enemy. The next one, rejected. Hey, I can be accepted by all. I can get 100 likes on this post in Facebook, right? I can be accepted by all. Well, you know what? That leads to a little bit of compromise sometimes, pressured, right, for it, right? And the last one is, or this next one in the sequence is success makes me good. 
you know, after a while, you, you keep running up a string of successes. You get ex addicted to success, and then you start getting addicted to overachieving. And then I gravitate towards situations where I can be the easy hero rather than the place that I'm called to. Do you see how good thoughts emerge from the lies? It's a form of self-protection. So now on the highway part, right, here's how the good thoughts layer on top. You don't belong here? Well, I earned my way here. Here's something wrong. No, they need me. They got, can't do it without me. I am important. And here is the ultimate good thought on top of the orphan lie. I don't need anybody. I can do this myself. Again, that's not always wrong, but it's wrong when the underlying structure underneath it is, right, a whole orphan set of pattern. My heart, as a kid, is starting to move toward God. We were going to church every Sunday, right? But what happens is these lies start to take root, and what happens to my heart? My heart then starts moving sideways, perpendicular to the path of God. I'm not progressing forward, but this is not yet a stronghold, right? This is just a, a, a battle against the enemy. The good thoughts move my heart away from God. Because I can do it all myself. That self-sufficiency, that independence starts moving me away from God. Because what? Why? Who am I dependent upon? Yeah, right. So here's the six sequence of lies. The good thoughts are what build. And together, it's the lies plus the good thoughts on top. That's what builds the stronghold wall. This is why we have to work hard to get it exposed. Because the sinister part is the camouflage of the underlying lies is hidden behind all this layer of good thoughts. It requires Holy Spirit revelation. Self-sufficiency is the raw material of high things exalted against God. Confidence in self preempts the need to depend on God for guidance. So let me give you a quick example. So um, <laughs> this is a coverage. Oh, lies plus good thoughts. I'm sorry. This is why I couldn't tell I was battling with an orphan spirit because successes were stringing together. I was advancing in my career. Things seemed externally to be going well by worldly standards. But the real question is, are my successes leading me closer to or further away from God? This is a coverage map of cellular coverage in our region. Connie and I, my wife and I, were headed to a wedding on the western edge of Maryland that took us through this uh, stretch of West Virginia. On this coverage map, the red indicates where there's coverage. The white indicates where there's no coverage. Right? So we went through this stretch with absolutely no coverage. 
So we stopped for lunch right in the middle of that region of where there's no coverage, and I closed my map app. So what happens? We finish lunch, get back in the car, try to get back. on. Okay, where's the directions? Which way do we go? The map app can show me my position, but it can't compute directions because there's no connection back to the Internet. The map app is only good for position. It's pretty useless. It's totally useless in directions because it has no connection. My phone is a 64-gigabyte phone. The internet is 44 zettabytes of information, a trillion times more than my phone. My phone represents me. The internet represents God. When I'm operating as an orphan, I am like a smartphone without service. After Paul gives his resume in 2 Corinthians 11, he concludes with this. If boasting is necessary, I will boast about examples of my weaknesses. Really, Paul? Really? You're going to boast about your weaknesses? Yeah, I'm I'm not good at skiing. Hooray! Right? I'm not good at, at, uh, 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 you know, analytics and administration. Yes! Go get right? That's so counterculture. So what happens is the orphan mindset enticed me to focus on my strengths. So um, the orphan stack of lies had me deathly afraid of my weaknesses. So I had to hide my weaknesses. Otherwise, I'd be exposed as unqualified. But Jesus comes along and says, Passion Translation, My grace is always more than enough for you, and my power finds its full expression through your strengths. Now, through your weakness, like, yo, Jack, through my weakness, there's something good about my weakness? So Paul concludes, I will celebrate my weakness. Whoa, okay, this is a new wrinkle to my brain. I will celebrate my weaknesses. Come on. When was the last time you celebrated your weaknesses? Right? Let's get real. Right? For when I'm weak, I sense more deeply the mighty power of Christ. So when I operate in my strengths, the world gets me, the best that I have to offer. Right? But... When I operate in my weakness, they get God. Whoa, they get God. The world gets God. Okay, wait, wait, let's just clarify. I'm not saying everybody start going out and start doing belly flops, (laughs) right? But what I am saying is, instead of shying away where a place where you don't feel you are qualified or you have strengths in, Listen to Holy Spirit. Is Holy Spirit wooing us into, drawing us into an opportunity to become a vessel for him to release the fullness of his power through us into a situation because we lack everything? Come on, I want more of you, God. 
I want more of you, God. I want you to fill my weaknesses, not me to operate in my strengths. I want more of you, God. Because his power finds its partial expression, full expression through my weakness. Okay, we've exposed the enemy. Let's take care of business. This is the process, right, that Dr. Savoso presents in his book, That Nunch of Paris, to, to take down a stronghold. And it really comes from James chapter 4. Submit to God. Resist the devil. Cleanse your hands, purify your hearts. That word for heart, the Greek word is the center of our spirit, right? Think of mindsets. Purify your mindsets, right? And he says, lament, mourn, and weep, and humble yourselves until he lifts you up. This battle against this enemy, I tell you, I went through some pretty low times. Pastor Joel was saying, hey, you just received this garment of praise for that spirit of heaviness. I was really battling heaviness, dealing with this. The gravity of my sin, the gravity of opportunities that I missed, the gravity, the weight of it all, right? But our God is greater. God said that he will restore the years the locusts have eaten. All that lost time gets restored as well. Praise God for being so all-powerful and almighty, restoring everything, even time. It's not about doing. It's about being in him until he lifts me up. Here's a piece. In, in the Luke rendition of Jesus after being baptized and the Holy Spirit leading him into the wilderness, it says, and he did battle with the enemy. The devil tempted him for 40 days. So what I picture is not this 40 days go by and on the 40th day there's this battle. What I picture is Jesus and the devil are duking it out for 40 days. 40 days. And the devil on the 40th day takes his three best missiles and fires them at Jesus. And Jesus masterfully dodges all three of them. And then it says, the devil left him for another opportune time. Right? Now, Jesus said, he has nothing in me. He has no detonator created in my life, right? Jesus is calling us to get rid of the detonators in our lives. So it starts by establishing, oh, so Dr. Savosa postulates, can the devil last in a battle longer than 40 days? So that's why he recommends in taking down a stronghold, dedicate 40 days. In this battle against this orphan stronghold, I'm right now in day 31. <laughs> I got to tell you, so, I, so part, and, and actually, I, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me, let me stay on track. 
The importance of exposing the six-step progression is to know exactly how to destroy the entire stronghold. A new neural pathway needs to be established in my brain. Remember, 2 Corinthians 10, a stronghold is in the mind. It's our thoughts, right, knowledge. The new neural pathway takes time to establish, and it takes time for the old one to get washed away. The new neural pathway is established to resist each lie with the word of God. Romans 3.24 says, Jesus liberated me from the guilt, punishment, and power of sin. Mistakes are actually okay because they're part of the learning and growing process. In fact, the word of God says all, he works all things together for my good. Even my mistakes, he works for my good. Instead of condemnation, lie. I don't need to be condemned because I'm justified by grace as a gift. I don't have to earn anything. I just have to receive it, right? Rejection, I'm a joint heir with Jesus. We're going to get into more of that in a second. And being a mistake, I'm made in God's image. I'm made in God's image. And God doesn't make any mistakes. So he couldn't have made a mistake in making me. I can't be something wrong because God made me. This is part of the reason why evolution is so sinister in our school systems, because if we don't have a creator, then we don't have an identity. Then we could be a mistake. But because we have a creator, and he's perfect, and I'm made in his image, I'm perfect. And then that neural highway, after repetition, starts to get become a gold street, gold pathway in our minds. Keep going. Keep repeating. Keep, right? Till that becomes a new neural highway. So over, you don't belong here, right? I can put the scriptures, I received the spirit of full acceptance, Romans 8, 15. You are something wrong. I'm his beloved, his equal, his bride, right? Psalms chapter, or Psalms chapter 4. I don't have what it takes. Hey, I can do all things through Christ, even that stuff which I'm unqualified for. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And the last one is no one wants me? Really? Okay, here you go, devil. I am God's beloved child. I'm going to, the theme scripture I'm going to share with you, but it becomes a gold highway. A new highway is established. A righteous neural highway is established. And now this wall, this stronghold gets torn down. With each scripture. We tear down each pillar in this wall with the truth. So one of the things to do is set an alarm to go off four times a day. Four times a day, my alarm goes off. One's going to go off here at 1 o'clock. And that's a reminder to recite my scriptures. So I get new neural pathways. So let me share with you the most spirit-shifting, earth-moving scripture that the Lord gave me for this. It's Romans 8, starting at verse 15, in the Passion Translation. And I'm going to first person this. So it's it's actually you, second person, but I'm going to first person this. It goes on and it says, actually, I think I have it. Yeah. I did not receive the spirit of religious duty 
leading me into the fear of never being good enough. Ha, <laughs> disqualification. But I received the spirit of full acceptance, enfolding me into the family of God. And I will never feel orphaned. Still going? For as, his, as he rises up within me, my spirit joins him in saying the words of tender affection, beloved father. For the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to me. And since, oh, as he whispers into my innermost being, you are God's beloved child. Mm. Let that soothe your soul. Um, going. The next verse verse says, and since we are God's children, we qualify, we qualify to share all his treasures. And he's got treasures in heaven. And since we are connected or joined to Christ. Oh, for indeed we are heirs of God himself. And since we are joined to Christ, we inherit all that he is and all that he has. He is righteousness, peace, and joy. He is freedom and victory. He's the bread of life, the light of the world, the door, the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, and the life. He's the true vine, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He's all knowledge. He's all wisdom. All that he is, we inherit. And all of this, and the reason why I think the Lord is saying, deal with the orphan's stronghold is because Oh, wait a minute. One more thing. Find a prayer partner. If you feel like you're struggling with any stronghold, but this one in particular, find someone that's going to pray with you. Not necessarily someone that's gonna, that has been through it, but someone who's committed to pray with you and pray every single day for 40 days. The reason why is because the enemy is going to stir up throughout this time because the enemy doesn't want to give up his turf. And the enemy wants to hold on to his territory. And he's not going to go down without a fight. But God is greater. And God's going to destroy it. Right? Just persevere. Find a prayer partner. The last thing is, the last two verses of the Old Testament, God ends it with, in those days, I'm going to send Elijah. And he's going to restore the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. We need, our nation, the world needs, our nation needs, your region needs the spiritual parents to arise. It's time to kick out this enemy 
I hope that you got some revelation here. And I hope if there's any uh, relation, correlation, revelation it, that resonates with you, I just encourage you to take this, take this enemy down. And I'm going to close with this. Yeah, there we go. Jesus gave us this commission to make disciples of all the nations. That means saving souls and evangelizing is a part of the work, but it's not all of the work. The Great Commission is more than just saving souls. Amen? You agree? And in order to make a disciple of our nation, we've got to make disciples of our cities. And our cities are government schools and businesses. Our government schools and businesses our families, our families, start with ourselves. We will disciple nations when we disciple ourselves. Our influence in the heavenlies will grow as we destroy our internal strongholds. Right? When, um, anyway, I don't get off. Then we can storm the gates of Hades and destroy the works of the devil. Because our world needs us now more than ever. Our world needs us now. More than ever, all creation eagerly awaits the manifestation of the sons and daughters of God. They are eager, not just people, all creation eagerly awaits the manifestation of us, his ecclesia. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Father, we are so grateful and thankful that you have exposed the enemy. And that total victory is available because he's been completely exposed. Lord, I just pray that you would bless us with the revelation, the motivation to walk this out with you and to destroy the yoke of this enemy in all the ways that you have ordained in your word. Lord, I just release a spirit of discernment encouragement, and faith in the name of Jesus. Amen. I just love this man of God. And And when you can recognize the level of authority that he walks in, the opportunities that he's had, the price that he has paid, this man impacts our nation. When I first met him, he was a VP of a division, later becoming the president of that division, of a multi-billion dollar company, and at that time had 47,000 employees globally. He had to pay a big price to become that successful. And that was probably, what, 12 years ago, 13 years ago, 12 years ago. See, it's so easy for us to look to the external and not see the internal battles that we face. But guess what? There's no temptation taken us, but what is common to man. And so how powerful is it to see a man like this humbling himself 
celebrating his weaknesses, knowing that in the midst of that humility is when I really become strong because now I know who I really am. And it's not based upon what I do. It's based on who I become in him. And that is something for all of us. We are all sons and daughters of the living God, made in his image, in his likeness. And it's so true. The world needs you. Father, I just bless each one now, and I just thank you that as we go to dismiss this time, uh, Kevin, did you want to pray for people? We're going to dismiss, but if you would like Kevin to pray for you, he's willing to stay, but we're going to dismiss and shut down the live stream. But if you would like prayer, he is here to pray for you. So Father, I just bless each one. I just thank you and praise you that you are doing a great work in us so you can do a great work through us. Father, I thank you that we will be led by your spirit and never led by fear. And everything that you reveal to us, it's because you reveal so we can be healed. And in that place of healing, you will release what you've placed inside of us to touch our world for good. We just bless each one now in Jesus' name.